Morena Tefano. Uh, the reading for today is in Romans, uh, chapter 1, starting from verse 18. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, uh, the Black Bibles, it will be on page 966. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents, they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let the guys at the back work it out. There we go. Um, it's great you can join us at church this morning. Uh, please have that part of uh, the Bible open. Romans chapter 1 is where we're up to today. Uh, you probably noticed on the way through, if you, if you have ears to hear and you're listening, that there's some controversial ideas in there. Uh, if you are wanting to know more uh, about some of the stuff that comes up in Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at the, the passage in context in terms of how it fits in the book of Romans, but uh, we're going to dive into some of the issues on uh, gender and sexuality in a one-off talk uh, next Sunday, uh, not for Mother's Day, but next Sunday uh, at Night Church. So you're welcome to come to that, but we'll also run another seminar uh, at some other point if you want to uh, dive deeper into the, some of those issues and some of those questions if you don't feel like uh, they're appropriately addressed uh, in this time that we look at God's Word. Um, but uh, why don't you uh, pray with me uh, as we uh, look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much um, for the scriptures, uh, even words that seem to uh, cut against the grain of our culture and our world. Lord, we thank you for the honesty 
that is contained within your word. Uh, the honesty about uh, the real issues uh, in our world, the, way, the reasons why it is the way that it is, uh, but also the wonderful solution that you have brought through your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray now that as we look at your word, give us uh, ears to hear uh, and eyes to see and soft hearts to take on board what you have to say uh, so that we might uh, find our only hope in Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's a fact of life that if you don't know what the root problem is, uh, you're probably not going to find the right solution. Uh, if you don't know what the root problem is, you won't find the right solution. I clearly remember back in September 2016, our son Isaac was having issues, he was having problems, health issues. At first we thought he had a cold, uh, and so we you know, put him to bed, we gave him plenty of fluids, took a couple of days off school. The cold didn't go away, so then we took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, I think it's the flu. Uh, so he gave us some uh, pain relief, uh, some paracetamol, some ibuprofen to deal with the fevers. Uh, you know, we were wetting towels, putting on his head, trying to help the fevers. Uh, next, it was to the hospital where they thought he had an infection. More pain relief, more bed rest. Now we're on to antibiotics, multiple courses of antibiotics. And as this time went on and on and on, uh, there was something, we, we became increasingly convinced that we weren't finding the root of the problem, that there was something bigger going on for Isaac. There was something that was causing his fevers and causing his infections and causing his lethargy and bruises. And so eventually, to get to the root of the problem, we were sent for a blood test. The blood test was followed by a very late-night phone call from the GP. Whose GP ever calls them at 8pm? Uh, it's probably not good. An urgent trip to the hospital where the doctors said they finally found the source of the problem. Our son Isaac had leukaemia. Uh, now you know Isaac, he's running around, he's good now, so don't, don't stress. Uh, but the fevers, the bruises, the infections, the lethargy, the loss of appetite, they were all just symptoms. They weren't the problem. The real issue was in his blood, deep inside his bone marrow, and he needed a treatment that was going to go to that root problem. Uh, the stem cells in his bone marrow were faulty and he needed a transplant. He needed new ones. And all the paracetamol and all the bed rest and all the antibiotics in the world were never going to deal with that root problem. They were only ever going to deal with the surface level issues. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, in these sobering words from the Apostle Paul, he takes his readers to the window and he shows them a view of the world... And he gets them to look out upon the world and he sees the world, see the world in all its, its rebellion and brokenness and wickedness and sin. And then Paul points out what the root problem is. What is the real issue behind all the suffering and all the hurt and all the brokenness and all the pain? And the cause is, according to Romans chapter 1, the cause is, and this is uncomfortable, the cause is that God is angry with the world. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, uh, it's the very first verse we read. Have a look there with me so you can see I'm not making it up. Uh, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. Now that opening verse is not a very popular one. The idea that God is angry 
I mean, we don't like to think about God being angry. We, we like to think about God being like Morgan Freeman in a white suit, kind of uh, sitting in this kind of, in, in, the, in the clouds in heaven, this cosmic grandfather figure who's there, and kind of as long as we try to do our best, then he'll just kind of give us a nod and a wink and a pat on the back and everything will be okay. That's what we like to think about as God. But it's not okay. The unavoidable starting point in today's passage is that God is angry. He's really angry. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. And notice there it says the wrath of God is being revealed. It doesn't say that the wrath of God will be revealed. It doesn't, uh, it's describing how God is feeling today. What God is doing in the present. Now, the Bible does talk about a future day of, of, of judgment and wrath from God where, where God, where Jesus Christ will return to judge the world. And Paul's going to refer to that in the next chapter. But in chapter 1, Paul wants us to know that God is so angry with the world that his wrath is already being revealed from heaven, he says. This very day, as we sit here, and the Apostle Paul wants to be upfront with us. He wants us uh, to, to realize this because without, without grasping this reality, we won't be able to see, we won't be able to understand God's powerful and loving solution. If we don't understand the root problem, then we won't grasp God's solution. But first, why is the wrath of God being revealed? Why is God angry? What is the root problem? Well, Paul gives us two reasons why. The first reason, God is angry because humanity is guilty of suppressing the truth about Him. God is angry because humanity is guilty of suppressing the truth about Him. Verse 18 again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, how do they suppress the truth? We'll keep reading verse 19. How do they suppress it? Well, since what may be known about God is plain to them. And how is it plain to them? Because God has made it plain to them. Now, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Now, there's quite a few becauses and fours scattered through that verse. Hopefully, hopefully you followed the logic but what Paul is saying is that he's saying this. He's saying that by looking at the world that God has made, by looking at it, Paul says, it is intuitively obvious that there is a powerful God who stands behind it all. And Paul actually says more than that. He says that God has deliberately created the world to be so amazing and to be so mind-blowing that it's obvious that he stands behind it all, that even his power and nature can be clearly seen, says Paul. Uh, and this has been borne out time and time again down through the ages. You see, the idea of atheism, the idea that there is no God at all, it's actually a very modern phenomenon. Uh, in every culture, in every human period, people have always believed in some sort of God or gods. You see, atheism, it's kind of the Johnny-come-lately uh, of kind of uh, metaphysical ideas. Uh, even now, in our enlightened West, in the 21st century... Now, there are, some few, there are a few high-profile and very loud atheists doing the rounds, but even now, there's still not that many atheists. You might be surprised that uh, in a recent study uh, done here in New Zealand, 2018, less than one in five Kiwis is a convinced atheist. 
less than one in five Kiwis. And we're one of the most secular and most atheistic countries in the world. Now, sure, there's some massive percentage that say that they have no religion, but there's a big difference between saying you have no religion and you are convinced that there is no God. Those are not the same thing. And even then, some of the most convinced atheists end up being not so sure about it after all. Have you ever heard of the British philosopher Anthony Flew? Uh, Anthony Flew died in 2010, but he was a pioneer of the modern atheist movement. He was an icon. He was their champion for decades. He was looked up to by the, the Richard Dawkins and the Sam Harrises of the world. Uh, Flew even locked horns with the great C.S. Lewis in the, uh, at Oxford in the 50s. But, embarrassingly to atheists the world over, Flew in his later years changed his mind. In 2007, he, cre- he, he published a book saying, There is a God how the world's most notorious, notorious atheist changed his mind. Now, Anthony Flew, he didn't become a Christian, don't get too carried away, he, but he was the champion of atheism for the last 50 years. An outspoken, groundbreaking, pioneer atheist who eventually, as he would say, followed the evidence and came to believe that there was a God. He looked at the world and he said it was intuitively clear to him that there was a powerful being behind it all. Which is exactly what Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 1. Now sure, we can't work everything out by looking at creation. We can't work out everything about God. Creation doesn't show us what God's personality is like. Creation doesn't tell us God's name. Uh, Creation doesn't tell us God's plans and his purposes for the world. Uh, And so we may not know a lot about God from creation, but Paul says that in creation... There is enough there for us to be without excuse. Look at his conclusion there in verse 20. Verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. You see, what's going on here? It's the difference between ignorance and ignoring. Uh, ignorance and ignoring, those words, you know, they've got a lot of the same, same letters. You might think they're very similar, but there's a very big difference between ignorance, between not knowing something, and to, between ignoring, deliberately turning away from something. Uh, our niece, Emma, is here from Australia. Uh, she arrived on Friday. We're very excited to have her come visit. Uh, I picked her up from the airport on Friday. And you know how you go to the airport and you stand outside the international arrivals area, that little gate there, and, and, and all these people are coming off the planes from Sydney and from Melbourne and from Brisbane. And, and person after person, kind of stranger after stranger, wheels their bags past you. And you don't say hi or welcome or give everyone who comes out a hug, right? That's fine. You're, you know, all the people coming out, you're ignorant of these people. You don't know them. And so they pass by, and that's fine. It's no biggie. But what if my niece Emma walked out, coming all the way from Sydney on her first big overseas trip by herself, and she walks out, and I just ignored her. I act as though she doesn't exist. Well, that's a different story altogether, isn't it? That really hurts to be ignored deliberately by someone who knows you who ought to know you. That's what Paul is saying here about how we've treated God. God's power, God's existence, it's evident from creation itself, 
But because we don't like the idea of a God being out there, because we don't like the idea of a God that we might be accountable to, a God out there that might have some ideas about how we ought to live our life in his world, because we don't like that, Paul says we suppress the truth about him. He says we're not just ignorant of him, Paul says we ignore him. And for that, God is angry. And Paul says his wrath is being revealed from heaven. Uh, There's a second reason why the wrath of God is being revealed, and it kind of compounds that first problem. See, not only do we suppress the knowledge of the truth about God, uh, the second problem is that we exchange God's glory for something else. Have a look there in verse 21. Uh, Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Uh, Now, in our materialistic uh, Western culture, it's easy to read these verses and think that God is just upset with people who who make little statues of animals and, and, and little idols and worship them as though there's something kind of particularly unsophisticated about that. But Paul here is pointing to a much broader picture. You see, because we have suppressed the truth about there being a God, we then substitute him with something else to live for and to worship. You see, fundamental to who we are as human beings is that we need to base our lives around something. Uh, Some authors will say that we were created for worship and if we take God out of the picture, we'll find something else to give our worship and our devotion to. And because we don't like the idea of being a God, we suppress that knowledge and we base our lives around something that God has made. Something like a house or a career or a relationship or a family or a lifestyle. Maybe even just, just base our life around money. It can be almost anything in God's good world. We pull God out of the picture and we just fill him in with anything else. And as humans, we're pretty good at doing that. We're pretty good at making and worshipping idols. Uh, John Calvin nailed it when he said this. He said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. We've got a great capacity to worship things, anything, other than God himself. We focus our lives not on the creator, but on the stuff that he has created. We worship the gift while we ignore the giver. And Paul says, for that God is rightly angry. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a mother. Uh, For some of you, it's not too hard to imagine. You're a mum. You give birth to a child. And from what I'm told, that's quite a big deal. Um, Uh, you have this baby and for the first few years, you do literally everything for them. You feed them, you change them, you clothe them, you care for their every need at all hours of the day and night. And imagine as that child grows up, they, they never once say thank you. Again, maybe some of you mums out there don't need to imagine, uh, but uh, they never once acknowledge even your very existence. They receive all your care and your love and your gifts, but there is no relationship whatsoever. 
And then imagine, and this is where it gets a little bit more weird, imagine that um, when they're a little bit older, maybe for their, their fifth birthday, you, you think, I'm going to give them one of those massive teddy bears. You know, those, those giant ones you see at the show, at the fair. Um, you give them that massive teddy bear, and they fall so in love with the teddy bear. They, become, they love it so much, they become so obsessed by the bear that you've given them, that as they grow up, the bear essentially just replaces you. And it's their 21st, and the bear gets invited along. And it's their wedding, and the bear is sitting there at the table of honor, thanked in the speeches, posing for the photos with all the family. Not you, it's the stupid teddy bear. (laughs) Now, that's silly, but how would you feel if you're this kid's mum? It's a silly scenario, but in some way, that's, that's how silly it is with what we do with God and His world. That's effectively what we're doing to Him. Deep down, we're aware that God is there. Creation makes that clear. But we suppress that knowledge and we replace God, the eternal ruler, the eternal creator, the sovereign Lord. We replace him with the stuff that he has made. And we worship that. And we give that our our honor and our devotion. We give that our, our praise, our love and our affection. We devote our whole lives to the creation rather than the creator. We take the gifts. We love the gifts. But we reject the giver. And so Paul says God's wrath is being revealed. So therefore, verse 24, Paul now moves from explaining why God's wrath is being revealed to explaining how it's being revealed. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. Now, that's the key phrase. God gives humanity over to their sin. And how is this expressed? Verse 24 again. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. And then we see it again in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So they did what they ought not to be done. You see this pattern here, this repeated pattern three times. It says, God gives us over to our sin. That's the expression of God's wrath we experience in this world. The expression of God's wrath that we experience in this world is that God gives us what we want. He gives us over to the sin, to the rebellion. I remember uh, one of my uncles uh, got caught smoking when he was 15. He got caught smoking when he was 15 and my grandpa uh, said, you want to smoke? Fine. Now, I don't recommend this as parenting advice. It's probably illegal. So what my grandpa did was he, he, he got a whole packet of cigarettes and he put my uncle in the shed and he locked the door and he said, you want to smoke? Fine. You're going to smoke until you're sick. You're not coming out of there until you've smoked every last one of them. Now, my uncle, uh, he never felt so sick in his life. He never smoked again. How about... Paul is saying that's kind of like what God is doing here as he reveals his wrath. God says, you want to rebel against me? 
fine. I hand you over to your sin and to your rebellion and your evil. I hand you over. You're going to have to live with the consequences of life without me. You don't want me, you got it. Go off without me, replace me with whatever you want, and see where it gets you. And it gets us into a mess, doesn't it? It gets us into the world that we read about in the papers, that we, we listen about on the news. It gets to a world where a person is murdered every minute of every day. It gets us to a world where every 40 seconds of every day, someone else takes their life, their own life. It gets us to a world where 50 million people live in some form of slavery, and most of those 50 million are women and children. And that number is increasing, not decreasing. It, goes to, it gets us to a world where someone walks into a mosque or a church or a school and they open fire with an assault rifle on innocent people. It gets us to a world where a royal commission into abuse and care has received almost 3,000 submissions and it's been extended because more victims have come forward to tell their story. Victims who have been abused by the very people who should have been protecting them. Even abused by people who go by the name Christian who should have been protecting them. It's a world where one in three women in New Zealand have experienced physical or sexual abuse at the hands of their male partner. When God gives us over to our sin, this is the world that we end up with. This is the world described in verse 28, given over to a depraved mind so they do what they ought not to do, nor not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, gods, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Hear this one? They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. These are the horrific consequences of a life without God. Now, one of the things I think is super important here in Romans chapter 1 is it's really important that we don't get the cart before the horse. Uh, it's really important we don't get the cart before the horse. See, often Christians point their finger at the world. They point their finger at the sexual immorality, at the murder, at the greed, at all the stuff like that. They point their finger and they say, that is why God is angry. That is why God's wrath is coming. But look very carefully at Romans chapter 1. That's not what Romans chapter 1 says. Romans chapter 1 says that the sexual immorality, the murder, the greed, and everything else, they are not the reason for God's wrath. They are the result of God's wrath. They are not the reason. They are the result of us rejecting God and trying to run the world our own way. Which means that stuff like Pride Weeks, which you know, celebrates much of what is talked about here, Pride Week is not the reason why God is angry with us. It says, it, Romans chapter 1 says, that is how God is angry with us. He gives us over to sin. And that's the sort of stuff we come up with. That's the sort of stuff we start doing when we break and distort the good world that God has made. And so the wars and the famines and the economic systems that are all based on greed, whatever it happened, that, that's what happens 
when God gives us enough rope and then we have to live with the consequences of creating our own hell on earth. Now, it's a bit of a bleak passage today. Uh, Why is it here? Why is Paul saying this? Well, first, I think Paul wants us to see the problem with the world. He wants us to see the problem of the world clearly so that we reach for the right solution. So that we treat the root cause, not just the symptoms. Uh, If you talk to a scientist, they'll say the problem with the world is climate change and the solution is to reduce carbon emissions. And if you talk to a social scientist, they'll say the problem with the world is inequity. And so the, the, the solution is to deal with kind of systemic privilege and discrimination. Often, if you talk to a Christian, they say the problem with the world is sexual immorality or greed or violence. And they'll point to all the naughty stuff out there. That's the problem with the world. But Romans chapter 1 says that's not actually the, that's not the problem. That's not the root issue. The root cause of everything that's wrong with our world is this. It's that we have suppressed the knowledge of God. That we've rejected the Creator and we worship the creation. Paul says that is the ultimate problem. That is the root problem. And the only solution to that problem is the gospel. The only solution to that problem is restored relationship with God through Jesus. That is the only hope for the world. Which means that we don't, as a church, preach morality. We don't tell people, if you just sort yourselves out, if you just stop doing this, that and the other, then all the problems will be solved and God won't be angry anymore. That's not the solution. And we don't put our hope in social justice, as important as those causes are, as caring for the poor, dealing with inequality, as important as those things are to do, we don't put our hope in them because they are just treating the symptoms and not the root issue. Instead, we ought to be getting on with telling people about Jesus because the gospel, that is the only solution. Restored relationship with God through Jesus is the only hope for the world. Uh, Someone recently told me about a friend of theirs who had uh, turned their back on their Christian faith uh, and now were uh, in a same-sex relationship. And that friend, as they turned their back on their Christian faith uh, and, and, and announced this new relationship, they were expecting this, this massive moral backlash. They were expecting hellfire and brimstone. They were expecting uh, that someone would sit them down and tell them all the evils of the things that they were doing. They were expecting a finger-wagging and a bashing with the Bible about everything that was wrong. But instead, this person was really surprised and quite taken aback because their Christian family and their Christian friends, all they wanted to talk to them about was Jesus. I thought the relationship would be the real issue, the thing that people wanted to talk about. But everyone keeps wanting to talk to me about Jesus. I think the Apostle Paul would agree. Our first our greatest, our primary need is a restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And as we saw last week in chapter 1, the the first half of chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the good and important news about Jesus that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
The gospel is how God makes himself known, how he saves people from his wrath, how he brings them back into relationship with himself. And so as we look out the window with Paul at all the problems in our world, we don't kind of wag our finger, we don't preach morality, we don't try and hopelessly fix it all ourselves. That'll be like taking our son Isaac home from the hospital, suffering from leukemia and putting him in bed and just giving him Panadol. Hoping that will fix the job, fix the problem. Now, it might ease his symptoms for a few hours, but there was a deeper root issue, a, a, a problem deep down that needed to be solved first. And the problem deep down with our world is that we suppress the truth about God that we ignore him, that we replace him. And for that, he is rightfully angry. He gives us over to our sin. But the only thing that will deal with that problem is Jesus. The good and important news about Jesus Christ, who brings salvation to everyone who believes. So do you know that hope? Do you know that Jesus who brings you into right relationship with God? Or do you think you need to sort your life out first before God will accept you? Don't get the cart before the horse. Come to Jesus first. Trust in him. Be brought back to God through him. Be brought into right relationship with him so you can worship the God who made you and everything around you. And let him sort you out from the inside out. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hard word. We thank you for its honesty to us. Lord, help us to see clearly the real issue with our world and with ourselves, that uh, we have ignored you, that we worship the things that you have made. And Lord, for that, you are rightfully angry. And so, Lord, as we look at this world and as our heart breaks for all the brokenness and pain and sin, we pray we might find the solution only in Christ. Lord, we pray that it'll be the message about Jesus that is on our lips, not morality, not doing good, but Christ and Him alone. And we pray these things in His name. Amen. Uh, if the band want to come up, we're going to respond by singing. Uh, one of the really powerful things that's going on in this passage is uh, it's as though Paul is taking us to a window to show us the world and everything that is wrong with the world. Uh, but when we get to the end of this passage, and as we'll see next week in chapter 2, uh, Paul doesn't take us to a window to the world and all that's wrong with the world, but he actually takes us to a mirror. Uh, these are the issues that are, this is what is wrong with us. Um, uh, John Bradford, uh, he uh, lived uh, in the 1500s. Uh, he was watching uh, a criminal be led to their execution. Uh, and he uh, is credited for saying, being the first one to say the phrase, but for the grace of God go I. Uh, uh, he realised it's only by God's grace that he wasn't going to the stake that day. And so it is with us. As we look, into this, look out this window, we also look into a mirror. And we ought to say, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, so we're going to respond uh, to God's word by singing 
Uh, yet not I, yet not I, but Christ in me. So please stand as we sing.